Thank you, Andrew, for those prayers, and good morning, church. It's great to worship with all of you today. Welcome, if you're in person or online. We are four weeks into this Jesus Way series, and as we've been unpacking this dynamic of how do we bring heaven to earth, as we have been talking really most of this year, um, the separation of heaven from earth at the fall and God's desire to bring it back together ever since. This series, we're looking specifically at the life of Jesus to see how he did that. He prayed for that, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we look to the life of Jesus to see how do we do this. We started with faith in the wilderness and this idea that we might have new beliefs, new thoughts. We might deconstruct part of what we've grown up with, but we hold tightly to Jesus in the midst of that because God grows us so much when we're in these wilderness experiences. Pastor Brenda had the pointed question for us, Does the Holy Spirit have you? We as believers have the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit have us? Last week, we talked about unity or uniformity. And Jesus' prayer that we be united as believers. We talked about a difference between a bounded and a centered church. Do we draw lines between people? Do we have insiders and outsiders? And I talked to a couple people this week that had felt like they were on the outside of the line in different places they've been, and they are experiencing coming on the inside in terms of journeying towards Jesus and being welcomed in a community, and that's encouraging. And how did the early church deal with disputable matters? Today, we talk about this idea of how do we minister in the margins. And I was inspired by this quote by Dallas Willard. He says, spiritual formation in Christ is the process through which disciples or apprentices of Jesus take on the qualities or characteristics of Christ himself. This is basically discipleship. How do we become like Christ? How do we experience that inner transformation that impacts how we live in this world? So we look to Jesus, the Jesus way. Now, last week, Pastor Brenda said I'd asked her the question, does God have any favorites, right? And Pastor Brenda said, certainly, I am one of those people, right? She was owning being a favorite. And, you know, as we think about God, we get the definition that God is love, right? John tells us in 1 John 4, God is love. He is the essence of love. John also says we can love others because of God's love for us. Now, those of you that have children, two children at least or more, do you have a favorite child? Don't raise your hand if you do. (laughs) Growing up, I was the middle of three, and I felt like I am my mom's favorite. And my siblings would would have agreed with me, actually. And... um, but that was a short-lived phase. I am no longer the favorite. Uh, my wife reminded me this summer, I don't think you're the favorite anymore, and, and certainly I am not. Um, and hopefully your kids don't uh, realize if you do have a favorite, right? But did Jesus have favorites? Does God have favorites? Who does Jesus like to go after the most? Who does he enjoy spending time with? Who is he having more conflict with. Jesus seems to especially go after those in the margins, those on the fringes of society, 
those people society says are unloving, right? unlovable, that they, their worth is somehow diminished. I think Jesus wants to spend his time going to those places to let those people know that, in fact, they are loved, that God does love them. There's this hunger for God when you're in the margins. Your, your relationship with God isn't just a nice addition to life. Like You are desperate for a God that loves you. You're desperate to be hungry for him. And Jesus goes to those places and brings his life. Let's pray before we jump into the passage. God, we thank you that you are here, that you are alive and well, and that you minister to us through your Holy Spirit. And I pray that, God, your word today would bring each of us what we need to hear from you. In your name, amen. We're going to look at a famous story with Jesus. It comes from John 8, and let's pick it up in verse 2. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, that's Jesus, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Now, this story is a wonderful story that shows us how Jesus confronts power structures, how he confronts the power structure of the religious leader. Next week, we're going to talk more about the power dynamic, but this week, we're going to talk about how does Jesus minister in these places of the margin. Now, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, it says, were trying to set a trap right? They suspected that they would bring this woman to Jesus and he would say, your sins are forgiven and bypass the law of Moses. Now, what is the law they're referring to? It comes to us from Deuteronomy 22:22. If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. Now, we don't know where the man is, right? They've only brought the woman. And under Mosaic law, there would need to be at least two witnesses to confirm this, and both would need to be present. But this doesn't seem to be Jesus' concern. He doesn't ask where the man was or where the witnesses are. He knows they're trying to trap him. They know, he knows it's a test. The religious leaders are trying to use this woman for their own gains. They're trying to use this woman to accuse Jesus. And as we read scripture, we know it's never a good idea to use somebody else for your own means. They're looking to bring this woman in and have a sense of moral superiority over her, right? Look what she has done. They're accusing her and they're using her as a tool to attack Jesus himself. But the story continues. Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Jesus doesn't seem worried by their accusations. He simply bends over and starts writing in the dust, which was not an uncommon way for a teacher to teach his students. Remember, no chalkboards, no PowerPoints, right? So this wasn't unusual, but aren't you curious about what Jesus wrote? What was he writing? We don't know what he was writing, but perhaps he was writing some other sins down, sins that the crowd had, maybe hypocrisy, maybe self-righteousness, 
I remember, you know, this is a, a story of not judging, right? Not pointing a finger because, and I was taught this, you know, you point a finger, you have three fingers pointing back at you. And we were teaching this to our kids, and maybe they were eight or ten, and they said, okay, okay. So then the next time they did this, they used their whole hand to point. <laughs> I was like, you missed the whole point of that lesson. Anyway, back to verse 9. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. See, Jesus didn't say that the law of Moses was wrong, right? Only that if they were really serious about the Mosaic law, that all of them would find themselves guilty. And one by one, they get up and they leave, the oldest first. See, it isn't shocking that Jesus says, go and sin no more, right? He could say that to each one of us, couldn't he? But what is shocking is that he sets aside the Mosaic law. Jesus himself was the answer to his question, let him who has no sin throw the first stone. In fact, he had no sin, and what does he do? He doesn't throw the stone. He doesn't execute the Mosaic law. He actually is a protection for this lady. He does not condemn her. Who does he shame in this story? He shames the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, the ones with the stones, the ones trying to trap Jesus with the Mosaic law. And they set them down and leave. Without ever acknowledging the woman's guilt or innocence, he advocates for her. She is not just a faceless sinner. She is a person with a story, with a journey. And he comes to her defense and treats her with compassion and dignity. See, what happens when we come into contact with people that are different from us? What happens when we draw near? I love this word, proximity. Proximity. You can't understand the most important things from a distance. You've got to get involved. You've got to come face to face with those who are different if we really want to know the other side of a story. Now, I've asked Belisha from Community Church to come on up. Let's welcome Belisha up. <laughs> Belisha works for Sons and Daughters, and um, I've asked her to share today a bit of her journey. First off, Belisha, what is Sons and Daughters? So Sons and Daughter is an organization where we focus with the mission to help those who are caught in sexual exploitation reclaim a life of love, family, and freedom ultimately in Christ. And, and how that looks like is that we really try and meet them where they are. We go directly into the brothels, into the strip clubs on the street to minister to those who are sexually exploited. So it can go from the, the pimps, the managers, the women who are sex workers, or um, the buyers as well. And, and we just want to help them feel loved and seen by God. But we don't just stop there. We really want to help them through reintegrating So and crisis intervention. So we have a drop-in center where we help the women learn skills and computer skills or um, just making arts and 
crafts as a way to um, rehabilitate themselves and also take care of their families and hopefully in the future they can reintegrate back into society or if they are human trafficking victims, we would help them um, reintegrate back into their home countries as well. Mm. No, thanks yeah. for sharing that. Um, now, before you came into proximity you know, with this population, before you started working at Sons and Daughters, did you have any misconceptions about the population? Yeah, definitely. I think, like you said, it's very easy to point the fingers. And for me, it was very easy to point fingers at the woman, um, saying that, oh, this is just their job. This is what they chose to do. And it's very easy to point fingers at the men. If it wasn't for them and their demand, then we won't have this cycle of exploitation. But I think... Having gone on outreach for three years to the five different districts in Hong Kong, Sherwin, actually, um, Temple Street, Tim Sa Choi, you know, all these places, it, one thing that really brings the women together, no matter what country they're from, from Hong Kong, from Africa, from Thailand, what they really want to do is just have a roof over their head and to be able to feed their families. And, and the men, too. Um, there are times where we go on outreach focusing our efforts on the women, but men actually come up to us as well and ask us, why don't you talk to us? Because we want to be cared for too. And from that, I, I think we can really see that the intimacy that they lack and, and they're searching in different places, but what we know is that intimacy is truly from God. Mm, yeah. No, that's so good. How have you changed as you've had proximity in those places? Yeah, I, I think I, there's I've changed in many ways, but I think ultimately, just like our our organization, just to be able to see every person as a son and daughter of God, and and that's where we're able to fully extend grace and love. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Felicia. Tell me a little bit about what yeah. this is. Yes, so the info session, that's where you get to take a deeper dive into the effects of human trafficking and the commercial sex industry in Hong Kong. And that's where we'll be able to learn more about what we do as an organization and how, if you want to get involved, can get involved. And on Wednesday from 7 to 10, we'll have the honor of one of our African beneficiaries to be cooking for us, so she'll cook a nice African meal. Um, it'll be $150, just so we can contribute back to her fundraising efforts. And there we can also go on a prayer walk into Shangwan, and that's where I'll kind of expose how close um, right in our neighborhood exploitation is. Mm. All right, thank yeah. you, Belisha. Let's you. give her a round of applause. <laughs> and this is... In Shangwan, the, the meeting is not here, though. It's around the corner here. So if you are interested, um, scan the QR code. You can sign up. Belisha will be here after the service. You can talk to her and ask her questions. When we come into proximity, we are changed, church. Now let's go back to the story of Jesus, these teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the woman. Who do you identify with in this story? Who more closely represents your heart? Who would you like to identify with? Do you identify with those coming with stones? Right? They want to accuse, they want to condemn, they want to judge, want to take out their anger, they want to trap Jesus. Do I identify with the woman? Have you been condemned, judged, ridiculed? Or do you identify with Jesus himself? The defender in that situation. 
you know, I think no matter who we are in the story, we probably all want God to be gracious to ourselves, right? We all want to receive his compassion. But what about those who have wronged us? Do we want that same compassion for them? Or do we put them in a category of worse sinner than us? Do we put them in a category where they become nameless? They become easy to condemn? Somebody we can throw a rock at? I'm guessing, you know, none of you have thrown a physical stone at somebody, but I bet with your words and your actions, you have. In your heart, in your attitudes, in your choices. I think we all want compassion for ourselves, but do we see God as big enough to having compassion for everybody? I think we want to judge those who don't have the same struggles we do, and somehow we think of their stuff as worse than ours. Maybe we do this with our politics, too. We excuse our side for the wrongs they've done because, you know, the ends justify the means, but then we accuse the other side, right? And we take a limited perspective. Now, this story with Jesus is not saying that adultery doesn't matter. That's not his main point here. The sin that matters even more, if you read all of John 8, is the deep-rooted sin, using the God-given law as making oneself to appear righteous, to put yourself above the other, to really be self-righteous. And if that is your struggle today, and I think probably all of us wrestle with this on some level, depending on what it is, that we struggle with, I would encourage you, um, you, can, you can watch the movie uh, Just Mercy, but the story of Brian Stevenson, Brian Stevenson was the great-great-grandson of slaves in the U.S. He is a Harvard-educated lawyer. He founded the Equal Justice Initiative. He wrote a book called Just Mercy that they've now made into a movie. The movie itself is on Netflix. And he has a great TED Talk as well. If you just put in Brian Stevenson's TED Talk, um, but he uses this phrase that I just couldn't get out of my head um, this week called being a stone catcher, being somebody who catches the stone, the judgment, the condemnation that others are throwing at other people. And so how do we minister in the margins? How do we do the Jesus way in these situations of being in the margin? The first is to get proximate. Do you have anybody in the margins in your life? And if not... Sign up for something, right? Whether it's sons and daughters on Wednesday or one of our many outreach um, opportunities, right? In other words, get close to those who are different from you. See God's image in them. See their struggles. As believers, we should all see the image of God in everybody in this world and in this city. Second, seek a truthful narrative. Seek a truthful narrative. What is your stream of information? Right? What news channels are you listening to? News love to use fear and anger, right? And those become a motivation to treating the other poorly, whichever the other is in your life. Be motivated to love instead of fear. Vary your news sources. Make sure you're listening to both sides of a story. I got this book last year. It's by Esau McCauley. He's a professor at my alma mater, and it's called Reading While Black. 
African-American biblical interpretation as an exercise in hope. And what he's advocating here is reading the Bible from a different lens. We all come to the Bible with a lens. And I love this on the back. Scripture speaks on to topics often overlooked by white interpreters, such as ethnicity, political protests, policing, and slavery. And those are primarily the sources, white interpreters, that I grew up understanding, right? But... For instance, the African Americans in the U.S., their lives more closely resemble the people who were receiving God's word in the first place. And so reading the Bible from their perspective opens up a much closer view than most of us can have on our own. So seek a truthful narrative. Seek a different perspective. Three, stay hopeful. It's easy to get discouraged when you're working on issues of poverty, racism, discrimination. You need community to help you stay encouraged. You need a relationship with God to continue to fill you. We hear about hope in the Bible, and Hebrews 11.1 1 says it this way, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It will be a journey, and the, the fruit that we see will be small, perhaps, but keep on with it. And fine, be willing to be a stone catcher. For things to change requires your participation Right? It's not just sitting back and watching it unfold. I imagine there were observers that day in the story, those who were coming with stones and other ones who thought, I wonder how this is going to play out. I don't want to get involved. I might get hurt. Right? It might be uncomfortable to do that. Meeting new people, going into environments that you're not normally a part of. Oh, I love the cries of the little Jaron back there. <laughs> so tiny. <laughs> be willing to be a stone catcher, right? That can be difficult. See, the law right, was meant to shine a light on in our own hearts, right? Except the Pharisees are bringing the law as a condemnation and a judgment. What if... Jesus wasn't there that day, right? What if he wasn't present? What if people had not set down their stones? We know that people don't set down their stones today. We know that people are accused, condemned, hurt. God wants our participation in this. He wants to minister to the marginalized, and he wants that for us as well. Where are the places that God has placed you? Who is in your community, in your schools, in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhoods that you can be a shield for? Because we have to be stone catchers. Could be those that are disabled, those with mental health issues, the elderly, children at risk, refugees, racial minorities, Sexual minorities, economic minorities, the helpers, street cleaners, delivery drivers. All of these people tend to be in the margins, and God has a heart for them. He wants them to know that they are loved. But it can cost us something to be a stone catcher. It can be uncomfortable. We might be misunderstood when we enter these places, just as Jesus was misunderstood. Later in this very same chapter, John 8, 
the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed, right? This is what they're accusing Jesus of because of the ways he is bringing God's love. Chapter 8 begins with those accusers picking up stones to stone the woman. It ends with those same accusers bringing those stones to stone Jesus. John 8, 59. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Church, we minister in the margins because Jesus does. It's the right thing to do. We can all use our position, our power, our privilege to meet those in the margins, people that God has placed in our lives that we can be stone catchers for. Because catching stones will change you, church. It will give you a new perspective. You will experience redemption and new life. As you open yourself up, you'll discover your own brokenness and your need for God, for his transformation, for his grace to come into you and redeem you afresh as well. And we can become a people as desperate as those on the margin for God's love and his grace. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you were willing to be uncomfortable, that you were willing to be falsely accused for bringing God's love, that you were willing to suffer, Jesus, on behalf of each one of us, actually, that you were willing to go to the cross because you wanted us to see your love so much. God, I pray that we would be a people of courage, that we would be willing to be uncomfortable on the behalf of the other, that we would take courage in coming near those in the margins, near those who you so much enjoyed being with, God. And may you do a work in our hearts as we do, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Most Sundays we offer um, the opportunity to be prayed for, and this Sunday is that as well. I'll invite our prayer ministers forward. Pastor Brent and I will be up here as well. We would love to pray with you. Maybe you are somebody who um, has been throwing stones this week, and you just want to confess that. You want to bring that to God. Maybe you've been a receiver of stones, and you just need God's comfort, his love, his grace. Maybe you need courage to step into these places that Jesus is calling you. Maybe you need the eyes to see like Jesus saw. So we'll invite our prayer ministers up. You can come up, and um, while worship team is is leading us in worship, um, please respond how God is moving your spirit.